0: Thanks to those who were sharing earlier. I was blessed by that testimony, those testimonies, you know. That's what we want for everybody. I, I loved how they said they were feeling at home here. And whether you've been here for a long time and you haven't quite found your spot or if it's, you're, you're new here and you're wanting to get involved, that's the invitation that we want to extend to you. We, whatever we can do, just let us know. We would love to have this be a place where you really feel at home. We would absolutely love that. And wow, I'm also blown away because this has been a great week for us last uh, Sunday we had a baptism and a dedication and then two days later on Tuesday uh, we had a town hall meeting where we were looking at the results of a survey that we sent out to you and we were just blessed by how many people are feeling at home here and how many people are feeling like they're growing and it was just that was exciting and that same night they had an event for women how many of you were there? I mean, look at that. Hands I heard there was like 30-some women and people who had been here at our church for a long time and people who were there for the first time getting to know each other and connecting. And that was exciting. Then the next day, we had that event that Jennifer mentioned down here at the community center. It was their event. It was their deal. And they gave us kind of a panic call to say, can you help? There's more people coming than we than we, than we we think, than we thought were coming. And can you help us with something? And we said, okay. And, and so we helped out. And it was a, such a blessing. We had the mayor coming up to us, and, um, and, and the city manager, and they said, hey, we want to thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your partnership. How fun is it to have them feeling like this is a partnership? So that was a blessing, and then we've got uh, a team heading to Juarez on Saturday, and we've got all kinds of great things. The so Ace Back to School Drive is kicking off. There's all kinds of great stuff. So I am absolutely pumped. I've also been excited about this series that we've been in. It's so fun to to do a series sometimes where you just open up the scriptures, and you think you know where it's going to go, and it takes you to some different different turns, and, and it certainly happened with this this scripture. Well, we are, if, for those of you who are new, we've been in uh, the book of Jonah, and today is the last of a four-part series on it. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up. Chapter 4, we're finally there, and uh, that's what we'll be spending most of our time today. Now, before um, I jump into the new material, let me do a quick review for those of you who have missed uh, where we've been. And I want to start with this. There's actually a place for you to write this down in your notes. Um, We have a couple things we're going to encourage you to write down, and this is the first thing today. There is much more to Jonah's story than a reluctant prophet, a repentant people, excuse me, and a really big fish. If all you know about Jonah was the kids' version, there is so much more there. In fact, there's all kinds of stuff we couldn't even get into because we just didn't have enough time. There's so much to this story. In chapter 1 of this account, we're introduced to the God of heaven. And the the book of Jonah introduces us to this God who, it says, created the sea and the dry land. And as we read through the book of Jonah, especially in chapter 1 and into chapter 2, we see that this is a God who is not bound to the natural laws that he created. In fact, we are asked to believe the miraculous as we open this book up and, and we see the power and might of God on display. We're asked to believe that this God speaks to people and that he spoke to Jonah. We're asked to believe that he hurled a great wind on the sea. We're asked to believe that he intensified that storm to such a degree where it threatened to rip a boat apart but stopped just short of doing so. We're asked to believe that God caused the seas to stop as soon as Jonah gets thrown overboard. And then we're asked to believe that that's not enough. We're asked to believe that God appointed a great fish to swallow him and he survives three days and then is vomited up on dry land alive a few days later. We're asked to believe all these things. And if that's not a lot to swallow right there, the most shocking revelations that come out of the book of Jonah, they really involve God's attitudes towards people. That's the real shocking stuff. That this same God who, who is that powerful, he cares and he reaches out. He reaches out to that, that prophet of his who ran from him. He didn't give up on him. And he reaches out to, to this people who are described as evil, who just didn't know better. And so, so we, we, we find out about this God, this amazing God, who relentlessly pursues those he calls, and he graciously reaches out to those who yet haven't reached out to him. And so here's how we summarized all of that in and, and weeks gone by. we summarized it this way. In Jonah, in this book we've been studying, we are presented with a God like no other God. The Lord, he is not bound to the natural laws he set in motion. And everyone in this account, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. Well, one of the things we also saw in this book is that each chapter seems to end with a cliffhanger. In chapter 1, it ends with Jonah in the belly of this huge fish. In chapter 2, it ends with Jonah facing a 25-day journey deep into the heart of the most dangerous territory on earth. And then here's how chapter 3 ends. And this is referring to these wicked people of Nineveh. This is how chapter 3 ends, and it is a bit of a cliffhanger. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And that's a cliffhanger because so far the reader doesn't know how is Jonah going to relate to this? What's he going to do? How is he going to respond? He preaches a five-word five sermon. An entire city of 100,000 plus repents. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Well, here's what he did. We see it in chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up. If you don't have a Bible, I want to let you know too, we, we keep a stack of them. They're on the tables and you can use them during the service. But also if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give it to you free. You can just take it home. Don't have to let us know. It's there for you. So so please, please do that. All right, here we go. Jonah chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Watch, we'll just read verse 1 here. This is Jonah's response. Tyre City repents. Jonah was successful in what he was called to do. And here's what it says he did. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. Now, in Hebrew... That's the language this was originally written in. In Hebrew, the language is so much stronger, so much stronger than than what we have here. Jonah is furious. The guy is absolutely furious. I mentioned last week there's a lot of wordplay, a lot of wordplay in the book of Jonah. And one of the words that's repeated over and over and over again is a Hebrew word that sounds like, I was talking to one of our guys who's, Head Hebrew, and he says it's like you take a, a walnut, you put it in your throat, and then you, you speak Klingon and go, rah, ah, ah. it's like rah, that's what this word is. All right, so this word gets repeated over and over and over again. The evil Ninevites, for instance, are guilty of what is described as rah. The storm that God sends when Jonah flees, or at least attempts to flee by sea, it's described as rah. In his call to repentance, the Ninevite king tells the people, "No more rawing, you guys." And when God sees that the Ninevites aren't rawing anymore, He relents from sending the raw that He threatened to raw them with. This is a word that shows up all over this account. And what's interesting to note is that this, by this point in the story, here in chapter four, everyone else has done ra. Everyone else has done, except for who? Jonah. And that's what I mean by this is understating it here. When it says that it displeased Jonah, it, the, the Hebrew is, it rawed him. He's all rawed about this, which is interesting and it's a direct contrast. Jonah's rawing. The Ninevites, they stopped their rawing. God is not rawing anymore. You know, what happened here is one scholar says that the reason that Jonah is rawing, he didn't say the rod in part that's that's me but what he says the scholar says is that Jonah has been quote theologically scandalized that's why he's upset he has been theologically scandalized and let's look more into this what's going on here i've been alluding to all the way through the series that that Jonah is he he's really not running when god says go west and he goes east he's really not running necessarily out of fear for his life what he's really running from is a deeper fear and now we're going to finally get into this deeper fear that jonah had all right let's pick up let's go verses two and three all right so now it says jonah prayed to the lord and he said oh lord is this not what i said when i was yet in my country that's why i made haste to flee to tarshish Um, That city for I knew you are a gracious God. You are merciful. You are slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love and you relent from disaster. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. So now we see it in his own words. I didn't want to go because I knew what you were going to do. I knew that if I went there, Hey, I'm a prophet. It's what I do. You know, you gave me this gift. I know what's going to happen. If I tell them to repent, they might repent. And if they repent, then you'll relent. And I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want them to repent. I don't want them to get forgiveness. See, Jonah knew about God and his character. And what Jonah knew is something that other folks know about God. They know this. Take a look at this. This, You know, here, here let's, let's start with Jonah chapter uh, 4-2. We start that list. Here's what Jonah says about God. He knows this to be true about God. He knows that God is a gracious and merciful God. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah's not the only one that knows this. Look at how similar this language is from all over the Old Testament. Here's an example from Exodus 34. The Lord is a compassionate excuse me, and gracious God. He is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is out of Joel chapter 2. Return to the Lord your God. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. This is from Psalm 103. The Lord is... A compassionate and gracious God. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. This is from Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Nehemiah chapter 9. But you are a forgiving God. You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. In Psalm 86. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Jonah knows this. In fact one of my sources i was looking at this is a great quote sums it up well she says jonah didn't hesitate to go to nineveh because he didn't know god but because he did he knew what god might do and he didn't want god to do that why well that's what we pressed into last week we pressed into that last week we we, we, we jonah was dealing with people where he knew what god might do but they didn't and he didn't want them to know Here's some great contrasts. Take a look at this. Here we see Jonah says, I know that you are a God who is gracious and merciful. The other people didn't. And we see this. The narrator, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes that really clear. Look at Jonah 1 6. These are sailors. These are sailors who don't know this God. They say, Do they say, We know he'll take notice of it? No, they say, Maybe. Maybe this might be a God who is good. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we won't perish. Jonah 3 9. That's this evil king. He doesn't say, I know this about God. No, he says, who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger that we may not perish. They don't know. Jonah knows. Why won't Jonah tell them? And again, that's what we pressed into last week. Jonah believed that the Ninevites and all Assyrians for that matter, they shouldn't be forgiven. They shouldn't. And he had good cause to believe that. Last week, we said, get your kids out of here. Get them out of here because get them out of this room. As we talked about the horrific things that the Syrians did. And I gave you the sanitized version. Even the sanitized version we didn't want to tell the kids. These, these people committed horrific acts. Not just against the, the people they went to battle with, but against c- civilian populations. They were They were boastful in their brutality. Boastful. When God said go east, Jonah didn't go west because he was afraid he might die a martyr's death. Maybe that played into it a little bit. How can it not? But that wasn't the main thing. Jonah's greater fear, what he feared more than death itself, was the possibility that God might use his message to save his enemies. He didn't want any part of that. Better for them not to know. I'd rather have them die. I'd rather have myself die. Than for them to be have this chance to turn around. It's interesting, I didn't notice this um, in, until someone pointed it out to me. When the storm was raging, way back at the beginning of the account, when Jonah leaves and God he gets on a Jonah gets on a boat and God sends a storm to get him turned around, right? They said, the sailors said, What do we need to do? He's your God. Tell us, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to stop this storm? What did Jonah say? He said, Throw me into the sea, right? Was that his only option? No. He could have said, "I'll well, turn the boat around. He didn't want the boat turned around. He was, he was ready to die before he would share with these enemies because he didn't want them to have a chance to turn things around. Jonah believed, if your sins are really, really, really bad, God shouldn't forgive you. And it's interesting. I think most people believe with that. Believe that. I was um, on Hulu, and uh, I was looking at a, a clip. There was a clip from a show called Jimmy Kimmel Live, and I can't show the clip. Uh, it is, it would, far from. It's just too crass. But but the point of it. The point of it was really interesting, and it gives great insights. I think into people. The way this was all set up was Jimmy Kimmel's late night host. And so he was talking about the events of the week. And in this week that he was referencing, the Pope came out with a declaration. Now, I haven't actually read the, that declaration, so I'm just, all I can do is comment on what he said. His interpretation of the declaration was that the Pope said, um, if you're an atheist and you do enough good works, you'll be in heaven. That was his interpretation of, of what the Pope said that week. Well, that same week, there was an Islamic cleric who said, if you tweet, you're going to go to hell. So you've got, you can be an atheist and... And, uh, and, and if you're good enough, you go to heaven. If you tweet, you go to hell. And so, so what Jimmy Kimmel says, well, we've got to get to the bottom of this because there's probably some confusion going on here. So let's just go straight to hell. Let's ask Satan. So then they do this cutaway, and up comes this, you know, Satan on the screen. And Satan says, this guy representing Satan says, you know, this is a really, really bad place. And only really, really bad people come here. If you come here and you see me, it's not because you cheated on your taxes and blah, 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 blah. He says, "You know, because you did something really bad, like killing the guy next door, or something like that." Well, I, I I look, I think about that clip, and I think, you know, that's what Jonah did, and that's what a lot of us do. We start to put ourselves in God's seat, where we start to say, "Well, this is the significance of this activity, and this is the significance of this activity," and we start to make all kinds of judgments about the severity of the sin and, and what the appropriate consequence is. And that can be a dangerous, not can be, that is a dangerous place to put yourself in, in that place of judgment. You know, we, we, we are a lot like Jonah in this regard. We, we decide for God what is really, really bad and what isn't really, really bad. And when you start down that path, there's some kinds of dangerous things to that. But one of the dangerous things is we forget that the grace that we've already received is far greater than any grace that we could extend to another person we can lose track of that. Now, let me show you an example right from Jonah's own words. Jonah, what we just read here in Jonah chapter four was a prayer. It says, he prayed to the Lord. All right. And let's start with that one on the bottom there. This is the prayer that we just looked at. And now I'm throwing in some of the the Hebrew here. Jonah prays to the Lord and he says, this is why I made haste to flee. Take my life. And there's the Hebrew for it. From me, it is better for me to die than to live. And there's a different word translated there. One of them means more your soul. One means more just your earthly life. He, and, but look at this. This prayer, it, is, it, it mirrors and contrasts at the same time an earlier prayer, Jonah's earlier prayer. The second prayer is him saying, don't extend grace to these people. They don't deserve it. The first prayer, Jonah prays to the Lord after he receives grace. And he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and God answered me. You brought my life from the pit when my life was fading away. I remembered the Lord. That's not coincidental. That language is on purpose to have us see ourselves probably in this, where we we can be so quick to judge others, so slow to judge ourselves, so quick to extend judgment to others so quick to receive grace ourselves. Jonah is himself the recipient of grace. And he expresses great comfort and confidence in God's mercy. But his enemies are also the recipients of grace. And Jonah's not okay with that. Now, again, I think... Most people, maybe I'm projecting here, but I think most people get that. Most people understand, yep, it's easy to go there. It's easy to go to a place where that person should not be forgiven. No way, no how. But we also, in our culture, we have the other extreme as well, and I just want to touch on that for a second. We have some people who think everyone should receive grace all the time. I was driving down the road, and I saw this bumper sticker a couple weeks ago. Bumper sticker said, God bless everyone no exceptions. Now, if that's on your car, let me first say that I, I love the heart and spirit behind this. And I, I say that with all sincerity. You know, it, the, the heart, I believe, behind this, it, it could be a couple of things. It could be in reaction to God bless America, hey, let's bless everybody. But it probably comes from this deeper place of, you know what? God is a loving God. And you know those same things that Jonah just said. God is, he's, he's abounding in love. But may I submit to you that God is more complex than that. And may I submit to you that God is more loving than that. You know, I think about the ways that God reveals himself and, and, and the ways we can understand. And I think about how a good king, a good king can't bless rebellion. And a righteous judge can't condone Lawlessness. And a good father can't bless foolishness and disrespectful behavior. And a good husband can't bless his wife's unfaithfulness. And a good counselor can't bless harmful ways of thinking. And a good friend can't bless self-destructive behaviors. And if I'm trying to save you, I can't bless actions on your part that are going to lead to your death. And how does God reveal himself to us? He reveals himself through his triune nature as king, as judge, his father as husband as counselor as friend and as savior and and i don't know i guess it, it, maybe people just don't take this to its natural conclusion but i don't know how you could worship a god who is so permissive so permissive that he would bless or she would bless behaviors that are rebellious and bless behaviors that are lawless or bless behaviors that are foolish or bless behaviors that are adulterous or less behaviors that are destructive. You know, in my position, rarely does a week go by where I don't hear somebody say, I can't believe in a God. I can't believe in a God who would allow evil. I, I hear that every week, or I see it every week in print or, or something. There's all kinds of reasons. You know, that's a whole other series in and of itself, but could it be that one of the reasons that God allows evil is that he couldn't annihilate evil without annihilating that if we could see as God sees that we'd recognize that we have all sinned, and that sin is a much bigger deal than we think it is and could it be that one of the reasons there's evil is actually because he is a gracious God he's slow to anger he extends an opportunity to folks to repent and to change which kind of brings us back then, more than kind of brings us back to where we were before this related tangent. If we don't repent, we're held accountable. And this is true for the city of Nineveh. You know, it's such a good exercise to do true Bible study because sometimes we just kind of pick pieces out here and things like that. We don't see how it all fits together. The book of Jonah, if this is the Old Testament, it's here, and then there's another book, and then there's a book called Nahum, just two books later. And take a look at this. This is a quote. Jonah's, the book of Jonah opens up. The book of Jonah opens up. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Hey, go bring this word to the Ninevites. Book of Nahum, two books later, and probably just a couple generations later, comes to, to Nahum. And here's an oracle concerning where? Nineveh. And look at this. This is not good news to the people of Nineveh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath the Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. And Jonah said, that's what I wanted to preach. Why did you give that to him? You know, I wanted that. And what Jonah probably was even more excited about is that this time when the prophecy came, they didn't turn. This time when the prophecy came, they didn't repent. This time when the prophecy came, they, they weren't overthrown through their repentance. This time, It was Babylon that came in, and they got theirs. What what a series of events that is. Well, that was the result. All that to say, that's the result that Jonah was hoping for a century earlier. That's what he wanted. And and so here, let's continue on with our text, picking up with verse 4. The Lord says, Jonah... Do you do well to be angry? You could translate this as hey what you think about what you're doing right now. Is this good? Is this the path you want to go down? Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah replies, Nothing. He doesn't say anything. He does what he did the first time the word of the Lord came and he didn't like it, he goes east. But this time, he goes east of the city and he makes this booth, it says, for himself, this temporary shelter for himself there. He sat in the shade and he wanted to see what would become of the city. Now, what a contrast we got here. God asks a question, Jonah doesn't answer. Instead, he goes east again. He sets up a temporary shelter. Jonah steps away from ground zero just far enough and he does so with a hopeful expectation that God will relent of his relenting. That's what he's open for. He wants to see God open up a can of whoop-rah on his enemies. That's what he wants. And, And and here's the contrast. In chapter three, in chapter three, when the evil king makes a proclamation of repentance, the evil king says, Who knows? Who knows? Maybe God will relent and, and offer us grace. And this time, you've got the prophet of God, and he's sitting there watching, saying, maybe God's going to relent, but he's going to relent of the grace and just bring the hammer down on these people who deserve it. Which makes the booth language really fitting here. That word booth that you see in, in Hebrew, that's a trigger word. The people prior to this, quite a few years prior to this, when they were using booths, that was the people of God who were wandering in the wilderness, who the Bible describes as stick, thick, stiff-necked. They were stiff-necked. They were hard. And there's some of that in Jonah, too. Jonah's in a booth, and he doesn't get it either. And it's interesting, God sends another object lesson. God sends another object lesson. I think it was uh, Joyce Heyer who... who turned me on to this way of thinking that, you know, God is a master teacher. He's a master teacher, and he's so good that once you take a test and fail it, you get to take it again. (laughs) So she says, get it right the first time, you know. Well, the God of the sea, which God is, he already spoke through the wind and the waves and the whale, and now as God of the dry land, he's about to speak, and we're going to see it here. He's going to speak to a plant and a worm So picking up with verse 6, back to our account, Jonah 4, very next verse says, Now the Lord appointed a plant, the same God of the sea that appointed the whale. Now the God of the land appoints a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might have shade over his head to save him from his. Any guesses what the Hebrew word for that was? Save him from the Ra. Yep, save him from the Ra. The Ra is back. So Jonah, but God's trying to save him from the raw here. More, more, more grace. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Remember that phrase. He was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. So here, here again, we're seeing that, that, that Ra is back in. And, and the other thing that's, that's a, a language choice that's repeated here is where it says exceedingly glad. This is, this is significant. We're going to come back to this here at, at the end in a second, but I just want to touch on it now. That same language used here for exceedingly glad, what's he exceedingly glad about? The shade. He's exceedingly glad about shade. That's the same language except the opposite that was used when he was exceedingly angry that God saved the city. So he's exceedingly angry that God spared 120,000 people. He's exceedingly joyful about shade for himself. Here's how the account ends. These are the last verses of Jonah. But God says to Jonah... Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, yes. Yes, I do. I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. We need to call this death wish. Jonah, death wish. Um, The Lord says, hey, you pity the plant. For which you did not labor. You did not make it grow. Which came into being in a night. Perished in a night. Here's the punchline of this should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know the right from their left. And they're not insulting the people here. This is not like a, they don't know anything, these silly people. This is, they just, their moral compass, they don't, they don't know. They don't know. And also much cattle. The entire story was building to this moment, and then it abruptly ends. And I hate when movies do that, hate it, hate it, you know, cause you want resolution, but often good artists, they won't give you the resolution. And what does that do? It forces you to wrestle with it. So here's the question I've got for you is you wrestle with this because it's not about Jonah anymore. They don't tell us what happened to Jonah. Evidently, that's not the point. The point is you, what are you going to do with this? And here's a question for you. Are are you becoming more like Jonah or Jesus? Now, for the record, let me make this as clear as I can. I'm not going to throw Jonah completely under the bus here by any means. There There are a lot of admirable qualities in Jonah. So please hear that clearly. Jonah was a true prophet. He heard God's voice with great clarity. And is that a good thing? Yeah! That's a great thing. Can you imagine knowing exactly what God was trying to say in a, in a situation? Yes, that's a great thing. Jonah also kept his vow to God. That's huge because that could either mean, as I'm keeping my vow to God, I'm going to go to Nineveh. He, in either case, it's, it's a horrible thing in his mind because, one, I could get killed physically, die a horrible death. So you talk about courage, you talk about boldness, you talk about obedience. The second one is, they might actually respond to this message and my enemies who... I want to be destroyed, might repent, and God might relent. Is that a great example? That kind of obedience? Yeah, absolutely. And Jonah, he is effective in his calling. He is effective. His five-word sermon converted 120,000 people and a bunch of cows. (laughs) bunch of cows. You know, is, is fruitful living... A good thing? Yes. To be flowing in your giftedness? Yes. That's a great thing. And on top of all this, Jonah knew his scriptures. There's so much we didn't have time to get into. One of the things we didn't have time to get into is his prayer. His prayer in chapter 2. It's almost all scripture. He's praying scriptures. He knows God's word. Is that admirable? So are there admirable qualities in Jonah? Yes. Absolutely. Don't paint him into a a caricature, you know, of some disrespectful, disobedient person. He more represents the complexity of our faith, that there's things that we get and there's things that we don't get, and there's things that come natural to us and there's things that don't come natural to us. There are so many positive parallels between Jonah and Jesus. You know, One of the ones I came across in my research was there's a church in Germany, an old, old church. And you can go there, and in the stained glass, you see this this mirrored um, reflection of these two artworks. You've got Jonah. He's coming forth from the whale. You've got Jesus coming forth from the tomb. There's so many parallels. We had to leave a lot of that out, too. But here's what I don't want to leave out. When Jesus compared himself to Jonah, when Jesus compa- and he did when Jesus compared himself to Jonah he said this something greater than Jonah is here something greater than Jonah is here for instance you know Jonah could not bring himself to forgive his enemies couldn't do it when he prayed he cried out in anger against them what did Jesus pray on the cross he prayed Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know their right from their left. So, Father, would you forgive them? You know, and so that begs a question. Do you pray for your enemies? That's hard, isn't it? Real-life example. Um, The week of the Boston Marathon bombing. I believe the bombing was a Monday. Is that right? Okay. Bombing was on a Monday. Well, on that weekend, I was scheduled to run my first race in 15 years, an inglorious return, a humbling return to uh, to running road races. And, and we're on our way up to Duluth. The race was in Duluth. It was that same week. So bombing happens on Monday. I was scheduled to run on Sunday. We're on our way up to Duluth and we stop at Toby's. Got to stop at Toby's on the way up to Duluth, right? And, and of course, donuts are such great pre-race, you know, food. So I'm there getting my donut, you know, uh, in advance of my race. You can tell how Already, I was for this thing. So I'm I'm ordering my donut and we're up there and, and the woman at the cash register, you know, taking our order, she, she just starts asking a bunch of questions. And so she's saying, you know, where are you from and what are you doing? we said, we're going up for a race. She says, Oh, you're running a race. You guys worried? And I'm like, well, I'm worried they might have a heart attack and not make it, you know, all the way to the finish line. But no, I think we'll be good. And she goes, Oh, because remember at this point, this was, this was Thursday. And on Thursday, they hadn't yet named suspects or any of that. None of that's played out yet. She gets this anger comes over her. And and she goes, those people who did this, they think they're going to get some great reward from Allah. She goes, they're going to be surprised when they find themselves burning in hell. And I'm thinking, I hope your manager didn't just (laughs) overhear this conversation because... Not sure they trained you to do that, Um, but thanks for the donut and not sure what to do at this awkward moment. So, but, but isn't that how a lot of times, you know, it's so easy for so many people to go there with our enemies. And let's not, this is an extreme, extreme example that we're given with Nineveh. This is not someone threw their dog poop into your yard. This is not someone blamed you for something else. This is horrific horrific, horrific. It's so easy to follow Jonah down that path. It's so hard to be like Christ. And that's not the only path. That's not the only path that's easy to follow Jonah down. I am convicted big time when I read that part about Jonah getting mad at the plant. That is so convicting to me. And I I think some of you might be able to relate to that too. You know, I think about Americans... And how we will get passionate. We will get passionate about so many different things. Some people are so passionate about their sports. They will rearrange their entire life around a sporting event. They will get to that destination. They will get the tickets. They will hit everything, pause on everything else in their their calendar to either watch the game or or, or whatever. Some people will, will do that. For some, it's a big sale. The sale is this weekend. I can't do this. I can't do this. I got to go because my thing is 50% off. You know? For some people, it's a concert. They're reuniting. This group is getting back together. They're going to be only four states away. We got go, you know, to go to this thing. For some, it's the video game release. You know, stay up all night at camping out at the store so then you can stay up all night playing the game. I don't know what your thing is. You probably have a thing. Most of us have a thing that we're passionate about, we're excited about. We also have a thing, most of us, that's on the other side. The thing that just makes us, oh, you know. For some, you go to a restaurant and, and and the food isn't, you know, the way you want it to be. Or or, or it, these things, these first world problems that we get worked up about, you know. Our cable is fuzzy. Our car gets dinged. You know, I'm talk about feeling convicted on this. I was working on this late last night. And I get home, and we have this deadbolt lock that the key just sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. I'm like, all I need to want to do is just get to bed. It's been a long day, and I'm, I'm trying to open this thing, and it's not opening, and my mouth opened up, and some things came out of my mouth that I was evidently very passionate in a negative way about this little lock. And I'm thinking, I just spent how many hours in Jonah? You know? It's so convicting, right? There's these things that bring us great joy that we're extremely passionate about. There's things that just frustrate us that we're passionate about. Isn't part of the point of Jonah here? To be passionate about the things that God is passionate about. Amen. You know, when 10 million kids will die today from preventable causes, and we're not passionate about that. And 2 billion or more people will go to bed tonight and they don't know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would put their faith in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And, and, and that, that passion isn't there. Well, it was with Christ. He came to seek and save the lost. He gave up his life for that cause. I can't think of a better way to close this series than with an invitation to say, Do you want that spirit of Christ in you? It's so easy to have a spirit of Jonah. Just do do religious things and you'll you'll get there, you know. You'll get good at some religious behaviors, but your heart won't change. I, I can't teach you into a relationship with Christ. All I can do is offer that to you. And the way we're gonna offer it to you today is Jill is just going to play some quiet instrumental. And and let's do what Jonah did, you know, except with the Christ factor in it. I have some scriptures here. There's some scriptures on the bottom of your page of notes here and on the back. And what I want to encourage you to do is just individually pray these scriptures. If you've never done that before, there's no one right or wrong way to do this. But but for me, what I do is I I, I try to sincerely imagine that God is hearing this. And I can sincerely imagine that because it's true. He's hearing you. And I'll, I'll start to pray this, these things and every once in a while something will cause me to pause and to say, you know what? You delight to show mercy. Thank you for extending mercy to me. And, and oftentimes, things will come to my mind. Thank you for being patient with me when I'm frustrated about a stupid lock on a door. You know? Thank you. But just would you take some time to do that? Just you and God, and then I'll close us with a blessing, okay? let just take a minute or two. Thanks for, um, for doing that God wants to give us a new heart He wants to give us a new mind and He'll give it to all who ask and you'll receive it especially as you then follow the instructions He gives you to care for that new heart and to care for that new mind and I hope this exercise is helpful because it's one you can do anywhere you know, you don't have to be gathered here for this, you could do it at home do it on your commute, provided you're not driving at the time. You know, and the other thing we want to extend to you here today, too, we've got people that would love to pray with you. You, you could pray about these things we talked about today, or you could pray about anything. Because prayer with other folks is also a good thing. So there's people on the side, both sides here that would love to pray with you after the service. You know, for those of you who found this teaching particularly tough because you've had really evil things happen to you, know that God knows that. He knows that, and one day he's going to make everything right. He asks us to trust him, though, in this time until that happens. Well, let me close then with a blessing over us. Would you please stand? Let me ask this blessing as you go forth, and, and when you do go forth in this place, make sure you say happy birthday to Tim Anderson on your way out. It's his golden birthday today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you desire to bless us. And and we pray, Father, that you would bless us with the Spirit of Christ. He always knew what to say. He always knew what to do. His heart and his mind were in the right place. He didn't let people off the hook when they needed to hear truth. He won't let people off the hook if they refuse to repent. Father, he was so good. He was so good at helping us understand our proper place, that we're kids and he's, his father is our father. So would you pour out your spirit of Christ upon us? Give us new hearts. Give us new minds. Help us to see the way Jesus saw. Help us to feel what he feels, what he was passionate about. May we be passionate about those things. And, and Lord, I don't want to say that you destroy the rest of our passions because you created us as individuals. And you've given the heart of an artist to people in this room and you've given the heart of a craftsman to people in this room and you've given hearts to enjoy your creation to people in this room and and enjoy relationships and all these good things. Lord, don't destroy these passions but help us to, to bring them under your lordship. So bless us with the spirit of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.